One in four Americans has zero friends to confide in. And this number has tripled in the last 30 years. And, and with the pandemic, it's now one in two and a half people have zero friends with whom to share confidential feelings with. And when you add um, marriage to it, that number goes even lower, right? Because most people just give all of their emotional selves to their their partner, their husband or wife, particularly men. Um, and so um, we're living in an extremely, extremely um, scary time. And, and also having poor social connection is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic and twice as harmful as obesity. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, hey, Bettys. Welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Continuing on our informal theme of coaching you around female friendships and developing your community, this week I am joined by Radha Agrawal. She is a force of nature. She is the co-founder and CEO and chief community architect of Daybreaker. This is the early morning dance and wellness movement. Uh, it's been in 28 cities, five continents, with a community of half a million people across the globe. She and her team have also recently launched a science-backed program called Dose by Daybreaker, and we talk about that today. It is the first of its kind being uh, teaching community members to practice joy with the goal of making practicing joy as ubiquitous as practicing yoga or meditation or movement. She's also a very successful entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of the Menstrual Underwear Thinks, T-H-I-N-X. And she is also the best-selling author of the book, Belong, which aims to answer the question, how the hell do I find my people? How do I create large and meaningful communities in a real world? And this is really important, you know, as the world continues to open up again, um, as I've said before, we've all become awkward, right? So it's really important whether you have decided to up and move from the, you know, place, the province, the state, the country that uh, you've been residing in for various reasons, or you're just getting back into the world and you want to be able to fortify friendships that were meaningful you meaningful to you and to expand your network. Rada is the community archetype who architect who is going to show you how to do it. So we talk about a lot of things in this podcast. We talk about the pandemic and how that's changed not only her daybreakers, her early morning dance parties, which of course uh, had to be completely shut down at the at the beginning of the pandemic, and her pivot. We talk about her history. She has a very very she's a very colorful uh, entrepreneur in terms of the areas in entrepreneurship and business that she has um, developed products and experiences. And she talks about those. She talks about her upbringing, very traditional upbringing and how, you know, what she does is very atypical, um, I would say. And then we get into her program called DOSE, D-O-S-E. So we talk about each of the neurotransmitters with the same letter as the acronym. So we talk about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins and how we can use that for cultivating joy in the individual, in ourselves, as well as 
communal joy. Um, this was such a joy to speak to truly, uh, pun intended, uh, to Rada. She is full of energy. There is no limit to her mind and the way that she sees the world and the way that she sees the power of community. And I'm very proud to say that I've also been invited into her dose community to do a special segment on dosing your menstrual cycle. And we talk about each of the three, uh, the four individual uh, weeks of the menstrual cycle and how we can be trying to cultivate more dopamine, more oxytocin, more serotonin, and more endorphins throughout. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Radha Agrawal. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right, Bettys, I am so excited this week for my conversation. Welcome, Rada, to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. It's so great to be here, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we were just having a little bit of fun in the pre-chat and we were just kind of getting into all the stuff. And I was like, okay, we got to start because this is such good, juicy stuff. And you and I, uh, we've sort of had these different, you know, I met you uh, at, through a mutual friend, uh, Jim Quick. And then I've, I was saying to you in the pre-chat, I've also been to a day breakers in, in person. I went before I, I was practicing, uh, I had a brick and mortar practice and I went to this like 6 a.m. like dance party on King Street in in Toronto, uh, and then I sauntered off to start my uh, my patients at seven thirty. It was really great, um, and now I was inter- in you know introduced to you again through uh, Giovanni, uh, my partner, who I know you and him have a lot of uh, synch- you know uh, serendipitous synch- uh, synchronicities. So I'm so happy to have you here. We're gonna have a great uh, conversation. Um, couple and it's just so nice to be reconnected. And um, yeah, we're 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 all in it together. You know, we're all yeah. In it hundred percent. So we're going to, we're going to talk about Daybreaker. We're going to talk about Dose. Uh, we're going to talk about your book, uh, Belong. Um, but before we get into some of those really juicy tenants around community and feeling like we belong, I would love to, if we can, because what you do is very unique. You know, you don't often meet someone that's like, Hey, you know what? I, you know, I have this 500,000, 600,000 person community. And what I used to do before the pandemic was I would have these huge parties in the morning. <laughs> Like it's very, you know, you don't go to, you know, your guidance counselor in high school, and be like, this is what I want to do. So I would, I would love to sort of understand a little bit more about your history and your upbringing and some of these different influences and different stages of your life that really brought you to, uh, what Daybreaker uh, was and how it's evolved, uh, with time. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your, your upbringing, how, where, you know, I know your multicultural, multi-ethnic upbringing. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm born and raised in Montreal, Canada, Canadian. And uh, my father's from India, my mother's from Japan. So sushi, curry combo, but really very spiritual in just the way they raised us. And, um, and I just think that, you know, two transplants from different parts of the world, both of them English in their second language, coming to Canada and starting their own course, building a family with no kind of relatives to support them. They had to build community for themselves. And um, so I just watched them, you know, really courageously um, create community and um, invite us into the whole process of, you know, our home becoming kind of Grand Central Station to invite the neighborhood kids and invite the Indian community, the Japanese community to come over and and, um, and um, just connect. And so, um, you know, my childhood was very much um, 
in some ways, very traditional, very, very kind of strict Indian. You must be a doctor or, you know, lawyer type household. Why did you get 85%? Why wasn't it 95? Yeah. You know, like literally, my dad spoke me out of basketball because I got a 90% average. Um, and, and if I got below, um, 95, I couldn't only play one sport at a time. So anyways, like that type of strictness, like there was a sign at the bottom of my stairs that said, no boys upstairs, like stuff like that, (laughs) very very Indian, very Japanese, you know, but also very non-traditional that they married each other in the 1970s where interracial marriages were frowned upon and socioeconomically there's some different, you know, sort of different backgrounds as well. So it was just a very you know, just a very um, inspiring couple to just, you know, look up to. And they took us to India and Japan when we were 10. It's my first time going to our, you know, our parent countries. Um, and I saw so many just life-changing things that moment. I'll never forget, like, you know, homeless children on this, you know, on the train stations of India with elephant tigers on their feet, you know, begging for, for, for money and food and um, pickpockets, just all these things that you never experience in Canada. Um, and then going to Japan and just seeing the stoicism, the Japanese and just the culture shock of, of the two worlds going all, you know, inside of two months, um, first India, then Japan. So just kind of like those formative things, I think really lent, lent themselves to, you know, my, just really, um, my curiosity around humans and, um, really connecting to different cultures, how they gather, how they connect, um, the rituals of, of cultures around the world. And, um, And I, you know, I lost my way in my twenties. I just think that we all kind of follow the kind of American trend. But when we immigrated to America, when I was in college and I went to Cornell, played soccer and the whole thing, I just did the whole American thing for for a decade where I just assimilated. I, I read the, the, you know, kind of like the tabloids and just all the things that young, young women do and get lost in. I just found myself at 30, just really feeling out of belonging. So, so that, that was, you know, like a bit of my formative life of just where and how I, I, um, um, I got my influences to start a dance community like Daybreaker that really infuses so many different cultural elements from around the world, yoga, dance, meditation, um, kind of rituals inside the experience, um, no alcohol to really come home to the community experience and, um, and, and music that really, um, gets you in your bones. Um, so, so all of that, I would say is influenced by, by my upbringing. Um, and then professionally, I've had quite a, a wild professional career as well. Um, so yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your professional career. Cause I think sure. it's very interesting. There was, uh, was it super sprouts and then you were also a banker. Like tell, tell us a little bit about, cause yeah. that, those are very different. Those are very different <laughs> projects. Yeah. Totally. So, you know, I think I've always, I always say I'm unemployable, you know, (laughs) you know, growing up in a, again, in an Indian Japanese household where I just hated following rules that my parents kind of imposed on us. I realized that I wasn't someone that could have a boss or follow any rules. Um, um, though I, I, I love, um, mentorship and, and finding people that I could be mentored by. But anyway, so my, my first job out of college, this is like three months before 9-11, um, was in investment banking in New York City. I trained in the Trenton in the Towers and, you know, I'm 22 years old. My first job, fresh out of college, got a job on Wall Street to prove my Indian father that, you know, uh, a communications major with a minor in film could get a job on Wall Street. And there I was, um, and then the towers happened and I was in, you know, um, in Manhattan when, when the whole thing went down and it was just like one of the most, again, life-changing experiences of my life to be not knowing my twin sister was, she was working out of, we had just moved to a Midtown office and anyway, long story short, um, you know, that was a very life-changing moment in my life where I realized, well, the mystery of life is you never know when it's going to end, right? Like truly, I lost so many friends and, um, and, you know, Aon Insurance, just the different companies that were, um, above, you know, the, the, the 80th floor. Um, and it was just a wild moment for a 22 year old experience, you know? And so I think that took me on the path of what is it that I want to do? What do I want to, what do I, what do I, what do I want to do in my life that's going to move the needle. It's not just going to be another t-shirt business that I'm slapping on a different logo on it. And what do I want to do that's going to change the world? You know, I just lived through a world changing moment. And so, um, 
we just started looking at diet and children's, you know, diets and how humans eat, how Americans eat, you know, hundred football stadiums, uh, fields uh, of, of pizza every day. And, and just like how we're an unhealthy culture. And as a newfound American, really proud of, of being an American, um, um, from Canada, I, I just wanted to really make a difference. So opened a first gluten-free farm to table, organic pizzeria in New York with my sister. Um, and then shortly after that, um, uh, from the children's menu that I, I created for the, for the restaurants where, you know, kids would never order vegetables for their pizzas. I created these characters called the super sprouts, um, that were on the children's menu and then kids would come in, they'd color in the characters and then they'd run to the countertop to order vegetables for their pizzas. And so, and that's how I built my, my next business. And I, audited the kids business. I was like, wow, there's nothing in the space that teaches kids about food back in 2000, um, 2008, um, 2007, um, that wasn't sort of, you know, Sesame Street teaching about literacy, kept planning about teaching about the environment, nothing was teaching kids about food. So I started on that path, not as a mom, just as a citizen. So I got a lot of flack from lots of moms about that. But yeah, I raised $5 million for that business, banged down every door I could find. And, and um, somehow I found myself in this wild um, Super Sprouts um, experience, working with Michelle Obama, working with um, Chef Sam Cass at the White House, working with in the halls of government, education, um, media and entertainment, you know, um, parenting, food systems. Like it was just a wild adventure. Um, and then I had a hostile takeover. So my investors took my business away from me. Um, I was how, five, how old were you? I was 29, 29. Mm-hmm. and, um, just about to turn 30, um, no, 30, well, when the hostile takeover happened, it was actually, no, sorry. Um, I started at super sprouts when I was 29 and then the hostile takeover happened when I was 34, um, 35. And this is just seven years ago, you know? Um, so I had my baby, my firstborn child, like a real like baby just stripped away from me. Um, and, um, it was one of the most dark moments, like sort of dark nights of the soul that I had to, I had to go through. But what was wild was that just a, a year prior, I started Daybreaker, which is this early morning dance party, this experience to spread joy to citizens of New York. Um, and then it became a global community very quickly, but, um, started this, this dance community as a social experiment to let my hair down in the sort of throes of entrepreneurship of building super sprouts of all the different stakeholders that we had to invite in to start a media company for children in the food industry. Um, and, and so I would just go out to nightclubs and I was like, wow, the nightlife experience is so overrun by drugs and alcohol and everybody kind of feeling like predator predatory environment for women and just unsafe and just everyone on their cell phones and very and un- my shirts would always get ruined because someone's cigarette would is- at, always get my shirt and I was like I don't want I want to wear a nice outfit but I, right. it's gonna get ruined that's right yeah. or a spilt drink on you which would happen right. to me constantly like that right. was that was I was like if I get another spilt drink on myself I'm going because I'm small and five foot two so every I just would like you know it just I'd be at at drink level you know <laughs> anyway and so and so I just like what, what if we turned nightlife on its head? What if we created an experience that was so inviting, so inclusive at a time of day when we all wanted to be awake in the morning, not at night, we had to pop ourselves up on some new designer drug to stay up. But what if we did in the morning? What if we took away alcohol? What if we added green juice? What if we made it a, an amalgam of wellness and, and nightlife and brought these two worlds together um, and, um, and do it, you know, with performative elements like fire spinners and aerialists and, and break dancers and violinists and sax players and all these different elements at 6am on a weekday morning before going to work. Like what would that experience be like for people to have this wild pop of joy, a wild pop of collective joy before going to work? How would that change their day? how they change their meetings, how they change how they make decisions in their companies. Um, and, and that saved my life when I had the hostile takeover. I just dove headfirst. I, I honestly am still unpacking the betrayal, the, 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 um, the sadness, the, the loss of, of that whole five years of my life with nothing to show for it. I'm still kind of slowly unpacking it today 
Um, but, but, um, but Daybreaker and seeing and building this joyous community and, um, growing it around the world saved, saved my, my mental health, my, my life. And, um, and then today that's what I do. I'm the CEO of Daybreaker and we're seven years in and, um, we've grown the community to 30 cities around the world. We're a community of 500,000 members and we spread joy at sunrise. And it's just this wild, um, wild community of go-getters and doers and, and entrepreneurs and creatives and people who are willing to say F yes, to wake up at a wild time to get dressed up, put glitter on their face and go dance um, at the top of the World Trade Center or you know the Museum of Natural History or the Sydney Opera House or the Smithsonian or once at the White House even. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been just such a beautiful gift to be a steward of this community. Um, and the, the way it's healed me has been just so magical. I yeah. love that. And you said something really important that I just wanted to double click on was this idea of spreading joy. And I was saying to you in the pre-chat, you know, when I would speak to my female clients, you know, I had a female patient coming in, maybe she was experiencing back pain or we we're doing some nutrition program with her. And I would say, okay, we'd sit her down and say, what are some of the things that you're doing in your life for stress management? Like, what are some of the things that bring you joy? And like I said to you in the pre-chat, like they would be like, okay, doc, like I know the word you're using. Like I understand that it's the English language. I know what joy, I know what you're referring to, but what do you mean? So I love this idea of using dance and you talk about this in your book belong. So you're the CEO of uh, daybreaker and you've also wrote a book around this idea of community building and belonging. So what is it about dancing? And maybe we can talk a little bit about do, like what you call dosing and dosing your joy. What are some of the things that create the experience of joy in terms of a daybreaker experience, whether whether it's, you know, online uh, with, you know, um, and we can talk a little bit about how the pandemic maybe has changed the business model temporarily, but online and also in real life, what does that look like? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, so the, the, so, so the first thing is um, to just underline the importance of collective joy. And so the individual joy is one piece and collective joy is another piece. And I think so much of the personal development space, so much of the online kind of like, you know, um, workout and online just meet meetup space is sort of the in, kind of in many ways, individual joy space and working on yourself, working on going in, I call it, you have to go in to go out, you know? So it's going in to really excavate joy, to understand um, just all your past and what makes you you, um, to be able to excavate real joy. Um, and I can go into just a second, but, but there's the individual joy and the collective joy. And, you know, collective joy is what happens when you gather. It's why there's electricity at, um, you know, at, at, at a concert or when you go to a wedding or when you go to the office, you know, with other people, we're not just working remotely. There's a, a collective joy that is sensorial, that is felt through all of your senses, not just your eyes that are looking at Zoom or your ears that are listening to Zoom recordings, but your entire energetic being, your touch, your smell, your taste, all of yourself is being fully activated. Um, so that's that's how you unlock real joy is to really understand um, just our brains and how our brains work. And so, you know, you and I can nerd out about this um, for for days and days. But I can just share the first thing that we um, that that I looked at in the through the lens of of joy, and and it's your four happy neurochemicals in your brain, which which you, which I coined actually I termed dose, which I couldn't believe no one had put that together, but it was like our four happy neurochemicals spells out the word dose, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins spells out the word dose. So we can literally dose ourselves on our own natural supply. I mean, that's what's so wild. And so, to, so what we did was, you know, as we developed Daybreaker and since our membership to practice joy, we just really under, unlocked like an un, and sort of like reverse engineered what is it that makes a human happy? Okay, great. So these four neurochemicals, how can we engineer, how can we design an experience where people will experience that release of their four happy neurochemicals? And that's where it becomes super exciting. And if every experience designer 
community architect leader thought about their team, their gatherings through the lens of releasing your dose, it would change the way we gather, it would change the way we design experiences. It, it just it just would completely um, shift the way we think about happiness and joy. It's the lens of our brain and our bodies connecting, finding coherence between our brains and our bodies. Um, and we can't cut joy off at our necks. We can't just be felt in our heads. It has to be felt in our bodies. And so often when you go to therapy or you go to anybody, they always say, okay, let's work on your mental health, but no, it's your mental and your physical health. I call it your net brain body happiness score to really look at everything in your life through the lens of your net brain body happiness score. When you're doing a high intensive interval training, New York times has reported literally last week that it's actually bad for you because it's creates heart arrhythmia. It stresses your body. It spikes cortisol. There's all these negative things that happen with hit training. And yet everybody's doing hit training because they want the shortcut to get a, a sculpted body. So there's so many new things coming out around. No, just do sustained, gentle movement practices, which, which we call joy practice. So what kind of sustained things that you can do every day that you look forward to doing? That's not going to be something you do one time in a week, but your body is so spent that you wait two more weeks to do the next workout. What are the things that you can do every day gently to your body that elicits and inspires a release of your dose, right? Your four happy neurochemicals and that um, that makes you feel good, makes you feel happy, that 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 makes you glisten, that makes you um, connect to yourself and to one another. So we did a, we've done a so much research around um, the individual joy practice and the collective joy experience. I love that. So let's spend just a few moments describing. So you said dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. How do we, if someone were asking themselves, okay, how am I going to get each of these things in my daily life? So you've been talking about sustained movement, but what might be some of the questions or what might be some of the practices that someone might be looking to, to do to release dopamine, for example, and then we can go through each of them in succession. So dopamine is all about pleasure reward, right? It's like the ding on your phone, unfortunately, that creates the addiction, the dopamine addiction that you want the likes, the dings, the, the messaging, right? But dopamine really is when you find, find focus and inspiration. It's when you're in flow state. It's when you are getting things done off your list. That's that's dopamine. Um, so a daybreaker would cultivate dopamine by literally making it at 6 a.m. So that the act of waking up early to go somewhere when the sun isn't even up yet, there's a dopamine rush of, oh my gosh, I'm getting dressed. I'm going to this thing. There's, there's 500 people that's going to go to this thing. There's a, there's a dopamine rush of that. You also get dopamine when you're listening to music, uh, when you're finding flow state, um, when you're in Inspired, all of these. So we so we organize also our joy practices through the lens of the eight virtues of joy, uh, of which two of them are, are for each neurochemical. So dopamine is flow and inspiration are the two virtues of joy connected to dopamine. So we have all these practices that connect with finding flow state, finding inspiration um, through brain body movement practices like qigong and tapping and forest bathing and meditation and yoga and dancing, all these different practices that you can do to actually activate your dopamine. Oxytocin is your trust hormone. It's your cuddle hormone. It's your intimacy hormone. It's what you feel when you feel that exhale of I'm home with somebody, right? And so we call that um, the virtue, the two virtues under oxytocin are courage and connection because it takes courage to be trusting someone. It takes courage to connect with other people. It takes courage to, um, to find intimacy with your body, with yourself and with other people, right? Um, and then the connection side is, of course, um, you know, such an important part of a joy practice is how do you actually connect with other people? We cannot survive or thrive without belonging. It's our root chakra. It's what we need to survive and thrive as a species. Um, and so connection is a deeply important part of a joy practice and a deeply important a virtue of joy. Um, and then the serotonin, um, which is all around um, 
gratitude and ease. It's your mood stabilizer. So when you think of people who have anxiety and depression, it's often because they're low on serotonin, right? So when we think of the opposite, when you're filled with serotonin, it's, it's when you're feeling easeful, when you're feeling joyful, when you're feeling playful, when you're feeling in gratitude. Um, those are all serotonin experiences. And you can get that just by smiling. Just even if you're fake smiling, if you fake smile for five seconds, you're actually inspiring a release of serotonin. So you can do that when you're having a bad day. Just smile and you're just like, when you get through this and your body dumps serotonin and you feel immediately better. Um, same thing with taking deep breaths in and out. That's a serotonin release as well. We have multiple dose breaths that we share around that. And serotonin is connected to gratitude and play under the eight virtues of joy. Um, gratitude and play. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. And then the final dose neurochemical is E, um, it's endorphins and endorphins is all about the runner's high. It's the, it's the euphoria that you get from working out, from moving your body, from sweating, from glistening. It's, um, it's that feeling of awe. So, so the two virtues of joy are, um, awe, um, and, and, um, and play. So, sorry, sorry. Awe. Um, oh my gosh. Um, euphoria and awe. Thank you. Euphoria and awe. Um, so those are the two, um, virtues under, um, under virtues of joy under endorphins. So it's, um, so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to just think about neurochemistry. It's the, about your brain is like, how does it actually impact you emotionally? Oh, I can be more inspired. Oh, I can be more in flow state. Oh, I can find more gratitude. So these are all the things that we think about, um, when we think about brain body practices, you know? And I love the way that you've deconstructed this because I think, you know, back to the original, like people like, I know you're using the English word. I understand it, but I don't get it. This is where we can start to say, oh, okay, so how can I have courage today? How can I foster connection? And I think, you know, the daybreaker in its original form that I attended was this in person. It was so much fun. The best music ever. People were all dolled up, like all in costumes. But of course, now we have this pandemic and I was saying to you in the pre-chat, like the worst word that they possibly could have chosen was social distancing. Um, when I think it, it's more accurate to say, you know, we're physically distancing, you know, the three feet or the six feet or whatever, whatever the number is. Um, so how has this changed? So how the daybreaker model, how has that morphed? You've been talking a little bit about your online platform for joy dose. So maybe talk a little bit about how, if someone's listening to this, um, how they can begin to, you know, without maybe having access to going to a daybreaker or even just going to a meetup, like meetup.com. When I first moved to New York city, that's actually how I met my friends. Like I went to meetup.com. I was new, same thing from Toronto, moving to New York first time, had no idea. Um, no, I knew no one. Um, so how can we, how can we begin to foster these, this connection? And maybe you can walk us through, you know, some of the feedback that you've heard from, cause it, it's really scary, right? Like moving to a new place or now being isolated like that is the, I mean, if there's a pandemic, it's the mental health crisis, uh, the suicides, the depression, the lack of connection, um, that I think that, um, we, we're really going to see. Americans have zero friends to confide in. And this number has tripled in the last 30 years. And, and with the pandemic, it's now one in two and a half people have zero friends with whom to share confidential feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And when you add 
um, marriage to it, that number goes even lower, right? Because most people just give all of their emotional selves to their their partner, their husband or wife, particularly men. Um, and so um, we're living in an extremely, extremely um, scary time. And, and also having poor social connection is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic and twice as harmful as obesity. So literally there's all of these wildly scary stats around what loneliness can do. You know, suicide rates are through the roof right now. Opioid epidemics through the roof and gun violence, all these things ladder down to, I don't belong, right? So belonging is the most important thing to cultivate. It's not a thing to do. Oh, once I got to get the job. Oh, once I have the romance, let me then focus on my community. Community is the first thing to focus on and how you do it is by first getting to know yourself, right? So, so in my book, I, I had the first half of the book is about going in. I did this for myself when I turned 30 and I looked at myself in the mirror. This is when I lost myself, my, my, my path in my twenties. And I was like living for the tabloids and being cool and like wanting to be like what society wanted me to be like and not following my authentic truth. So I sat down at 30th birthday and I just said, who am I, Rada? Like, who do I want? Like, what are the qualities that I want in a friend? What are the qualities I don't want in a friend? I wrote down three columns. This is in my book, actually, as an exercise. But column one is, what are the qualities I'm looking for in a friend? What are the qualities I don't want in a friend? What are the qualities that I need to embody so that I can attract the friends that I want? So, you know, what are, what are, what are, the, what are the things that I value today? I did a via chart. What are, what are the things I value today in my life? What are the things I'm interested in exploring like you did on Meetup? You know, what, are the, what are the things that I'm good at? What are my abilities that I can bring to a community? Maybe I'm great at um, creating spaces for people. Maybe I'm great at bringing instruments or, or candles somewhere. Maybe I'm great at um, cooking for people. Maybe what are my, my skills that I can bring to a community that I can then begin to just unpack in my own life that brings me joy? And then... We'll go out and find the community. Let's excavate how we're showing up. What does our energy look like? I have several exercises that talk about your energy. Like, how is your energy when you show up to the places? Are you, are you withdrawn? Are you excited, enthusiastic? Are you um, shit talking? Are you? What's your vibe? You know, and um, I should call it an E triple E, an equal energy exchange. You want to find friends that give you an equal energy exchange. It's not going to be energy vampires or where you're giving all of yourself and getting nothing in return, right? So um, all of this audit you want to just begin doing and then plot out where in my life is my energy feeling drained? Oh, at work, my colleagues are really making me feel crappy. Oh, at home, I'm totally fueled up. Maybe it's time for me to change my jobs or create an environment and be the change in my office to create an environment where there's a better energy. So that audit initially in yourself is so important because then the going out part of going to meet up and doing what I call the four phases of community, where you start out on the exploratory phase on the outside of the bullseye. And you're just exploring all these communities that you're interested in, in, in connecting with. Um, it just becomes so much easier to pinpoint what are the communities I want to explore based on my today's values, based on my today's interests, based on my today's abilities, you know, and, um, so there's a, there's, is a, there is a, a sort of quiet step-by-step -step strategy that I did for my own life that's worked for now, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people that I've, I've supported and shared with, but it, but it's, but it's like, it doesn't always, it is, it's kind of like, where do I start? And that's why, you know, it's, I wrote the book and then, then that's why I, um, I share this so, so, um, with so much passion because, when you don't belong, it is debilitating. It is so, it's excruciatingly painful. Um, when you're left out, it's as painful as having a broken leg, truly. Um, studies have shown. So so for me, like helping people experience sense of belonging, the way I came around from I don't belong at 30, to, it took me three years to really find my tribe. And, and I was patient with it. I went through all the different practices. I was, I just, I stuck with it and I found my community of people that was equal energy exchange that were interested in the same thing that I was interested in. And then all of a sudden, because my energy was so authentic, I kept radiating out and it happened faster and faster. So meeting new friends who were aligned with my values became easier and easier and faster and faster. And, um, and I'm going through it again. I'm 42 now. Um, everyone's left New York City. I'm kind of back in this. Okay, I have 
a dozen friends left in New York city, maybe like four really good friends. I'm back in this rebuild mode and I'm excited about it. You know, and I'm excited to redo all my exercises in my book and rechart all the things of who's here in proximity to me while all my friends are now around the country, around the world. So um, I think we're all doing this, this work, including the authors of the books, you know, um, and and I'm loving it. And I'm and I'm um, appreciating that I have these tools now to be able to do that for myself, you know. I, I really love the three column exercise and I'll share it with you because um, it, it's sort of like once you've identified your own core values and I know you talk about like this via like this sort of Venn diagram, which we'll talk about in a moment. But once once you sort of know what it is that you want and who you want to be, it becomes infinitely easier for you to identify in other people. You're like, Oh, there's a, we're on a green planet. There's a yellow person. There's a yellow. I see her. She's, she's like me, you know? So without going through that exercise, it can be like, okay, I know I like her or I know I like him or whatever, but I don't exactly know why. And I think identifying your values, your core values, some of your principles and things that are really important to you. Um, are so important. And Giovanni actually um, did this in his, before we had met, he actually did a very similar exercise with, he called it the Mrs. exercise, like what his partner, who he wanted his partner to be and what were some of the things that he really loved about himself. So when we met, he was like, oh my God, she's like, he had 50, I think 50 or 51 items. And I was like 49 out of like 50, right? Right. So it's so, it's so easy to do that. And I love, I love that because I get asked all the time from women, adult women, like female friendships are really important to me. And I feel like I've outgrown maybe some of my high school friends, or maybe I've chosen to have children and my friends haven't, or the, you know, vice versa. I haven't had kids. My friends have, and we don't like the commonality is, 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 uh, waning. So what would be some of your, you know, if you could give some tips on what, you know, f- whether it's female friendship, that's the one I get asked about the most, like female friendships or cultivating new friendships. You just, we talked about going in. So if we were to go out, what are some of the things that you really think are important in terms of like, once you know what it is you want, how do you go about finding it? So there's a multiple, there's multiple ways, right? So the first thing that I would do me personally, if I'm moving to a new city, would be to find a portal. And what a portal is, is one person or two people that you feel like align with your values, your interests, and what you can share with their community, right? And a portal is a generous gateway into a community of like-minded humans. And so, for example, I was a portal to, you know, so many friends who moved to New York from their respective cities and they would say, Hey, I know one person that's Radha. Uh, let me call her and, um, and, and see if we can connect. So I, I would meet them and I'd be like, Oh my God, you're so one of us. Like, we're, 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 we want to make the world a better place and blah, 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 all the different things. And I would say, okay, um, I'm having a dinner party with six friends. Why don't you come? And I would invite them to the dinner party and then they would make friends and exchange numbers. And then boom, now they are building their community of, from like-minded people, right? So that's that's one kind of easy button route of just finding a portal in your city. It could be someone literally on Instagram that you follow, someone that you met one time that you think is really dope, that you want to connect with. Maybe you're DMing them and saying, hey, I'd love to get for coffee or I'd love to you know, um, support you as a volunteer for whatever's you're doing. Uh, volunteering is a really wonderful way to meet a portal, to support them in whatever project that they're working on, um, to really connect with them. Um, so that's one route. If you don't have, if you don't know a single person in a city, what I would do is, and it's all again in my book, it's, it's, I create these, imagine like four circles, like a bullseye. So the outer ring of the circle is what I call the exploratory phase, where you write down based on what you value, what you're interested in today, you look up online, um, look up on meetup, look up on, look, look up on all, just like on the World Wide web, ask somebody that you know, colleagues, hey, do you know any dance communities? Do you know any entrepreneurship communities? Do you know any, you know, um, joy communities that practice joy? Do you know any communities that whatever it is you're interested in that moment or parenting communities that have young toddler kids? Okay, let's go find those communities. Let's plot them on our exploratory um, uh, outer ring of the bullseye and then start going to those community events. And then from there, you will then begin to pinpoint, okay, I really like this 
entrepreneurship community. I like this joy community. I'm going to go kind of participate. So the second rung of exploration is participation. So that's when you begin saying, hey, I want to volunteer. I want to participate in making your community better. I want to support um, with my energy, with my intention, with my showing up more um, and really begin to participate in those communities because participation breeds belonging. You cannot participate if you only take and just show up to things. You have to show up and participate, which is why Burning Man, why Daybreaker, why all of these community events are so popular is because people come to our events and they're dressing up in the theme. They're bringing gifts to give away at Burning Man. People are building their art cars and building their camps. It's a very um, participatory community, which breeds again, belonging and a sense of commitment to the community. And then from the participatory rung, you now move into the outer core community. So inside of those multiple communities that UNAS are participating in, you might meet three or four or five people that you connect with, maybe two who become portals for you to meet other people in their community that you might connect with. So that be begins a portal um, invitation to other gatherings of like-minded friends. Um, and then you find your inner core, which is the final bullseye, which is the four to eight you know, friends that, with whom you can go really deep with at any given time that you can call up and they'll stop anything and show up for you. Um, I have fortunately so many inner core community members, but many of them now live outside of New York, including my twin sister. So, um, so I have a huge outer core community here that I'm beginning to, you know, sort of reignite and bring them back into my home for barbecues. And I'm going back into community building phase in my own life. Um, and it's just been so much fun and meeting new people. This can be so much fun and reigniting. So not to see it as a daunting, scary experience, but to really approach new opportunities, through the lens of courage and excitement and opportunity and inspiration for me as a new mom at 42, I have a two-year-old. There's a lot of variables um, that could make me more scared. Um, but I am so, but, but my mindset is so focused on how exciting this can be. And that's really um, what I think everyone should go into any new uh, community building opportunity with. And I think you have to give it time. You know, I think that, you know, in order to go from exploratory, you know, if you're using your model to participatory to the portal, and then now you're the inner core that, I mean, and people will say, well, how long does it take? It's like, well, who knows, right? It could be five years, you know, it could be 10 years, you know, I, I remember, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Don't give up. Don't give up. Right. So it's, it's just this slow evolution of your relationships. Cause even in that exploratory, when you're kind of looking for different like you're going to meet some people and they're going to kind of just remain these outliers for a long time. And it's in some ways you get out what you put into it. I think that when we're younger and even pre pandemic, we would get these eat, like it was, you know, you could meet people in the workplace. You could go to like faith-based, you know, you go to church or synagogue and you, you know, you'd find people with similar interests there or, you know, people will go to the gym. Like that's a big, you know, thing that many places are still closed. Um, so people that are interested in fitness and healthy living, you know, so now you're, we're all sort of divorced from that, but you know, as, um, as you've been saying, give yourself some time. And then you also are a portal in a way that you have this online platform. So as sort of a bridge until we can all get back into uh, real life, tell us a little bit about your online programming and what that, what that does. Yeah. So, you know, during pandemic, thank you, Stephanie. Yeah. I'm like, so during the pandemic, you know, when we had to shut down all of our live events, we know we started getting emails from community members sharing how their siblings were committing suicide, where their friends were in deep depressions, where people were feeling the deepest levels of isolation they'd ever experienced and going back to alcohol and substance abuse and all these things. So instead of just saying, all right, taking the year off, we said, let's, let's pivot to live stream dance parties. So we've done 24 dance parties online. We've had over 200,000 people join over 24 episodes. Um, and people, and it's a Zoom party, but we found all this technology that could really create an intimate experience on Zoom to make it feel um, as connected as if you're in a dance party together. Um, and then from there, we pivoted again because we said, you know, um, we only do these dance parties um, now once or twice a month. 
online. Um, so we were like, how do we actually serve and support our community members every single day? So we said, what if we created the first ever joy practice? It's what makes me so happy. So what are the practices that I do and my friends do that my people I look up to, my teachers do um, in the space of practicing joy? And, and I looked around, I was like, oh my gosh, there's like literally no platform out there where you can practice how to be a more joyful person using your brain and your body. So moving like with movement modalities. So we began doing all this research over the last many years, two years um, to try to understand um, what are the most potent joy practices on the planet? So Qigong and tapping and forest bathing from Japan to, of course, meditation to dance, of course, collective joy, all these different um, modalities, right? And and so we brought them all into one place where you can, there are gentle daily movements that you can do in a community that you can actually make like-minded meet like-minded humans to practice joy with from all around the country, all around the world. Um, we have a Facebook community. We have a Zoom community. We have now launching IRL again on May 12th to get everybody together um, in meeting for the first time, many of whom joined our, our membership um, during COVID um, and have not met each other. So it's going to be such a wonderful reunion for everybody um, to meet each other for the first time. But, but yeah, DOSE is really exciting. We partnered with the Greater Good Science Center out of Berkeley, California to do all the science behind it. We developed a, the first ever happiness quiz where you could basically, um, you answer 40 questions and it's like, Stephanie, based on your answers, these are the four neurochemicals. This is your, this is your score on your neurochemicals and what you need more support in to give you more oxytocin, more connection, more endorphins, more movement practices. Like here are the things that you personally can do more of on this platform based on your happiness needs. And so it's been really, really cool to, um, to create a place where everyone gets their own journey, where we unlock it through the eight virtues of joy again, that we developed with the greater good science center and through our research on what are the most potent values and virtues of joy. Um, and, um, and then create a community around it so people can meet and find their portal there and find their community and find their friends there. And we're over a thousand community members now um, in 12 weeks since we've launched. And um, and it's been just such a, a beautiful thing to go from, you know, 500,000 people coming to dance parties in the morning to back to a thousand community members to, re to build this kind of membership community um, who are coming together every day uh, or once a week or however often they can um, to practice joy together. So it's, it's been such a beautiful Renaissance, um, in every way for us. Yeah. I love that. I, and you're sort of like the, you know, when we think about mob mentality, you're sort of like the joy mob mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to like push collective, joy. collective joy. There it is again. And what are, have you had any, I mean, 12 weeks is still quite early, but has there been any, um, research or data yeah. or at least patterns that are emerging that you're hearing from your members? Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. We, we're getting, I mean, and you can see on the comments and, and it's so they're all public on the website, but it's unbelievable the transformation people are having by starting their day with a joy practice when so much of the fitness industry is so intimidating. Um, and so people will, will kind of shame talk themselves or feel insecure or compare their own bodies to what it looks like three months ago. There's so many different things that we do to ourselves as women, especially. Um, so to have a truly inclusive place of practice joy, practice self-love, kindness is one of the virtues. Um, by the way, I, I didn't mention it, but, um, but it's one of the eight virtues, um, under, yeah, under serotonin, but anyway, um, but, um, but, but yeah, to have it, to, to, to just, um, to just be able to create a space for people to, um, to, yeah, just to say to us, you know, I was, I was abusing substances and I'm now finally again clean because of dose. I was in the depths of my loneliness and this community. I'm now, I have now three zoom dates, three walking dates in the woods, three, you know, all these different things are happening inside of our community. I mean, I can, there's hundreds and hundreds of messages um, from our community members sharing their transformations and how they're more joyful and how it's, it's, and, and joy is contagious and how their joy is translating to their family and to their colleagues and to their neighbors neighbors into their community and how collective joy makes you smarter, healthier, um, more, um, more intuitive. Just all of these things happen when you're actually practicing collective joy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
I love that. And I think, you know, when I always say like community is my immunity, like you want a good, robust immune system, you need to be around other people. And like you said, we could geek out, but we are wired. We are neurologically hardwired to be with other people. And that's why, you know, when we think about torture, when we think about what people do to torture, they will self-isolate. They'll put people in isolation cells by themselves because that's like people go mad that way. Um, So I I love everything that, that you're doing here. And one of the things that I think is so important in terms of your work is you've not only created a community, so you've not only sort of deconstructed the way that you yourself have people that you trust, like those inner core people, but you're also now creating community for other people, which is so important for once you have your, I I almost think it's a, not a moral obligation, but kind of, kind of, you know, where you have your own people. It's like created for other people now. Like you can sit with us, like here's more benches for you to come. Right. Right. That's right. And I think it's, it's, you know, we work on ourselves to better serve others. And I think people forget that, you know, we work on ourselves, we go through all this personal development process so we can build better relate to others, how we can, we can better connect with others and humans are happiest serving other people, right? And so I think in our constant sort of like coaching environment where everybody's constantly um, in self-observation, we forget the the reason we self-observe is that we can actually be better humans and with other people. Um, and I think that's really it for me. It's like, I think once I found my community, I found the deepest level of joy and belonging and that exhale of I'm home. Um, that was when I said, okay, how can we transform our city? How can we transform our country? How can we transform the world? What if every single person went from feeling the way I did, out of belonging, you know, lonely, to completely in belonging, completely overjoyed, wanting to serve and support other people? Um, of course, ups and downs, you know, in all of it. And, and communities, there's a lot of conflict in community as well that you have to learn how to resolve that I stumbled through as well, that I figured out and write about in my book as well. Um, all the ways in, in which we can repair communities when there's a fracture, repair relations, we don't cancel each other in this cancel culture that we live in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's so important to take uh, our own lessons and share that because it ripples forward and it'll come back to you and you'll be like, Oh wow. The, the bodega or like our president is much nicer. Oh wait, it's because your ripple of kindness rippled out and it reached the halls of government. And that's now returning back to you. So we don't realize just how deep and wide one person's joy impact one person's community impact one person's sense of belonging can impact the rest of the world. I love that so much. And as someone who has sort of felt for, you know, I come from, I'm Portuguese and Lebanese. So like not quite Portuguese, not quite Lebanese, you know, lots of different languages, moved Montreal, Toronto. So I've I've been to Montreal as well. Always felt like I didn't quite fit in. So I loved, and I was captured from your book from the very first sentence where you're like, I realized I didn't belong. And I just loved, you know, the, the sort of story arc that you take people through in the book. It's a very interesting. Also, it's very unlike any book I've ever, there's like, art, you know, there's you're reading and it's like a picture of a keyhole and there's, you know, hearts and, you know, diagrams. It's so, it's so fun to read. I illustrated it too, actually with my friend. Did you? Oh, you did such a great job really. And I, and I think that this is such an important concept for us to get, you know, I, one of my very good friends, James Mescal, he's a functional medicine professor. Provider. He was on the podcast talking about loneliness, how it is a epidemic. And as you've been saying, there is so much evidence in terms of our neurobiology that is negatively affected when we are not in community. So I just love everything that you've created. We'll make sure that we have the platform for joy dose. We're going to have it in the show notes and uh, any sort of last, you know, parting words, like, is there something that if there's one, we've talked a lot about a lot of great things today, but if there's one sort of you know, idea that you want to leave people with other than, you know, community is the most important thing, right? (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to like to leave as we, as we're signing off? Yeah. I just think that now is the time to do that, you know, kind of that spring cleaning of who are the energies in your world that are not serving you? Who are the energies in the world that you've been grandfathering in? Who are the energies in the world that you've been making excuses for and allowing them into your space? 
And this is the time to do this audit. This is the time to do this deep soul searching work. This is the time to practice joy so that you can, you can really live in the way that you are meant and deserve to, to live. And, and that's, and that's what I want to leave, leave people with is, is just that. I love that. This has been such an awesome conversation, Rada. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, thanks for having me, Stephanie. All right, Bettys. So I hope with this information, you are inspired to try and seek out portals when you are trying to expand your community and you are looking for some of these ways to deepen your relationship with yourself and with others. Now, I want to take a moment to shout out someone who left a review on the podcast. This is from Secret Bria from the United States. And she, the title is I Love It. She is such a great podcast. I love Dr. Stephanie's voice, which makes listening to her knowledge so easy. Thank you. Uh, I've learned so much in the short time that I've been listening. Great guests. Keep it up. And thank you so much for taking the time. I know that we are all very busy and things can be a little stressful and hectic. And the t- that you took some time to leave me a note to let me know that you are appreciating the content means just the world to me. So if you would, uh, I would invite you to do the same. If you are getting value from this podcast, you can subscribe, you can leave a review, five-star rating. I'm good with all of those things. And um, it helps other people find the pod. That's the, that's the game. That's the name of the game. We want to be accruing our Betty army and empowering more women and the humans who love them to help take back our health so that each day can be better than the last. So with that, I bid you adieu, Bettys. I hope that you have an absolutely joyful week and we will see you very soon on the pod. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast, And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. 